Hello and welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Unshot.net. In this week's podcast, I'm taking a leap from a former principal who advised stress colleagues to look out the window and stare at the cows um, in order to relieve their stress. So, I... Uh, With that advice, I'll be chewing the cud, examining why children with additional special education needs are being put out to pasture by the NCSC as I take the bull by the horns and chart how the NCSC started to milk schools for all they are worth. But before all that, here is this week's Moose. Sorry. Every week we look at the news uh, uh, that's been affecting primary education every week and uh, I'll start off with my uh, good friend uh, Peter Gunning and retired principal who had an article in the Irish Times. Uh, Peter suggested that principals should stop talking the job down because it's actually putting off people from applying for the job. Now I'm not going to give Peter a hard time, I've already given him a hard time uh, to, um, uh, over um, social media and, and through a bit of a chat um, but it's interesting to think how things have actually changed really in the short time since Peter's actually retired um, only about two to three years ago and especially in an area that he was um, particularly F, um, interested in which is uh, special education needs which I'm actually going to explore in this podcast. Uh, I will read uh, Peter's suggestion of principles. Last week, I visited the school for the first time since retiring. I looked out the window and stared at the cows, chewing the cud in the adjacent farm. This is what I did on days of stress. A coffee break alone and watched the cows. Sure, not a care in the world. (sighs) Anyway, the Irish Times scooped a story about 100 Catholic primary schools closed uh, in the last decade and that multi-denominational schools are the fastest growing sector in education. Yes, the power of the church is waning. Instead of of the church being in control of 96% of schools in the country, they now have a paltry 94%. And before all of us secularists get too excited about this huge, amazing amount of news, uh, in fact, almost all of the 100 Catholic schools that closed down were tiny schools that were no longer viable and actually when you look at the numbers of pupils attending Catholic schools they've actually risen by about almost 2,000 pupils. Um, So like uh, Peter Gunning, thank you Irish Times for this class half full approach to reporting nothing. Surely there's some news. Um, Let's go with technology Um, because the European Commission has published their second survey of schools. ICT in education which compares all EU countries in their usage of ICT in schools and in general actually despite the total lack of investment Ireland is punching um, around the average mark across Europe Um, despite everything you know it's interesting (laughs) that that, that we're we're around average Uh, I was surprised by that to be honest but there were a couple of standout uh, statistics which I thought I'd uh, share with you Um, two thirds of our schools uh, reported that we have strong policies relating to ICT I think that's fair enough uh, but weak support compared to the European average of um, one out of three who have who have the same feeling. So I mean I think that's very fair. We have very poor support, um, despite having decent uh, decent policies. Also, despite um, as well what the media say about parents not understanding the dangers of the internet. Every time something goes wrong on the internet, people say, "Oh, parents just don't know. They need to be educated." Actually, seventy six percent of Irish parents said they had high confidence in teaching children to use uh, their own children in the use of internet safety and responsibility. So um, that's that excuse out the window for them. 
However, my favourite article of the week relates to religion and it was in the Irish Independent and the headline was that uh, it was Anger over pupils' sins listed on artwork at mass claims it breaches GDPR and seal of confession. Now it takes a lot to make me laugh but this is brilliant. It's great. I actually never thought I'd see GDPR um, and the seal of confession in one sentence. Jesus DPR maybe uh, could be a new coin of, 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 of phrase. Anyway it's a double knock no a double lock no less. Uh, the story is that a communion class had to write their sins on a cutout kind of cross shape and they were displayed at their communion uh, service. Um, I mean that would be to be honest, it's a fairly regular um, occurrence. But anyway, a parent has taken objection to the fact that their children's sins were on display in a public place and claimed it was a breached both the seal of confession and GDPR. I'd, I'd actually, to be honest, I'd really love to know what the parent's kid wrote. It must have written something pretty, <laughs> pretty interesting. Anyway, I just love how this practice, which has been going on for years, is now foul of Jesus DPR or GDPR and the seal of confession. I love um, actually as well I also love how that's the outrage and that it's GDPR and no one's actually really giving a toss about how weird like it's I mean really do we not think how, how strange it is to get seven-year-olds um, to go into a church and confess like sins I mean what kind of sin does a seven-year-old have and um, like really honestly do people not think anymore anyway national papers really could take a bit of a, a think and, and take a leaf out of local newspapers sometimes i mean when you have nonsense stories like that one above like um you know um sometimes they really might look at their local papers yeah i mean i get with local papers endless photos of people's 21st birthday parties but they also share lovely news um from around schools and they actually celebrate their successes it's really nice to see um, an example this week in the Killarney Advertiser um, and I'm sure in many other newspapers but I'm focusing on Killarney Advertiser highlighting pupils from school, Holy Cross Mercy Primary School, uh, enjoying a new STEM club in their school. The story itself isn't that remarkable in, um, in any way, shape or form but it's just one example of the fantastic work that actually goes on in schools around the country despite all the doom and gloom and I really feel there should be some kind of rule that newspapers should have to go and find at least one positive news story about education every day um we you know we talk it down so much uh there you go peter there's my um there's my nod to you and uh, but i mean it's the media that talk us down i th don't think we talk ourselves down but i mean this story is so much more positive and realistic and actually worthwhile that's stupid stuff about gdpr and in a, in a, in a church for a communion service isn't it brilliant that children are going to a club after school learning about science technology engineering and maths in their own time by choice i think it's a lovely uh, a much more important story than than other nonsense anyway speaking of nonsense a primary school principal says he's not going to allow his staff and pupils return to dire classroom conditions after the easter holidays unless the department of education provides plans for a replacement building now the principal isn't talking nonsense in fact, the picture in the article shows uh, the, the school toilet, you know, and, and in fact, the school is in terrible condition. It's actually, it's actually nonsensical that the school should be in this position. Um, it's nonsensical it should be in a condition like that. It's nonsensical that that principal has to take anyone to ransom in order to get the school in a decent condition. It's actually nonsensical that it's actually taken a national newspaper, in this case, the Irish Times, and actually being followed on by the other national newspapers in a more, in a, in a, in a, to highlight the story and shame the people responsible. But, but, but hold on a second. 
I, I have to ask the question, who owns the building that the school is in? It's actually not the Department of Education. And surely the owners of the building should be putting their hands in their pockets. I mean, it actually annoys me greatly that the Catholic Church owns all of these buildings but pay nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing into keeping them maintained. And they've actually allowed their own parishioners, their own parish uh, work and study in these shitty conditions. And I have loads of sympathy for the principal and all his staff and pupils. Schools really need to remember who owns their buildings and what that actually means for what happens inside them every day. But finally, and the most popular uh, story on our Facebook um, page this uh, this week, um, was about the good old spud. So do you fancy growing some potatoes and the same potatoes that people ate during the famine? Well, funnily enough, now you can. And all you have to do is uh, email lumpersp at gmail.com to receive free packs of lumper seed potatoes. Which will now, which will then be made available for collection in locations around the country. You can grow your own famine potatoes, minus the blight, I hope. So yes, indeed, now you can finally make a feast out of a famine. Thanks as always for the many messages from last week's podcast. You can always comment on anything you hear on onshaw.net on any of our social media channels. Uh, we're everywhere, uh, but generally Facebook and Twitter are your most common places people like to comment. Or you can actually comment on the podcast page itself or on our website onshaw.net where you can see all our 120 odd ideas for what we would do if we were the Minister for Education. I'm always really grateful for any reviews of the podcast, so please do consider that on whatever podcast platform you use. Please also consider subscribing to the podcast on whatever podcast platform you use, whether that's iTunes, Spotify or anything else, and each new episode will be made available to you via some sort of notification. Um, last week's podcast on Gwelskunas unsurprisingly had a bit of feedback. Um, I was a little bit disturbed by some of the comments referring to minorities fairly inappropriately, but uh, that aside, um, the usual arguments and counter-arguments did take place, none of which were actually possible to prove on either side. And for every person that said a Gwelskuna, uh, that Gwelskunas weren't diverse, somebody had the opposite view. However, one thing that caught my eye was uh, the Gwelskul Gach Skull. Uh, movement. This is made uh, through a comment. It's actually a 20 year plan to make every school into a Gwell school. And their Facebook page, while it's very basic, they do have an interesting plan and it's well worth checking it out. Um, if you go to our onshot.net Facebook page, that's facebook.com slash onshot.net, you'll have a look at that 20 year plan. It's really, really interesting and it might be worth uh, having a look at if we actually decide that we actually want to become Gwell school in this country or not. Now it's time for the main part of our podcast uh, for if I were the Minister for Education, I would scrap the NCSE. One of um, the Department of Education's cash cows uh, is the NCSE, a heavily resourced Quango. And the NCSE, that which stands for the National Cow Council uh, uh, for Special Education, sorry, I will stop these cow puns, was established at the end of 2003. So it's a good, a good about 16 years old now. And it formally came about as part of the Epson Act, which actually still hasn't been finalised or finally enacted. Anyway, it's hard to believe that before this, there actually wasn't really anybody that worked for children with additional needs. Now, in this podcast, I will be interchanging between special educational needs and additional needs. The term special educational needs is becoming sort of uh, going out of fashion at the moment. Uh, so please don't take offence if I use special educational needs uh, rather than additional needs. Um, as I said, it's 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 not through um, any any uh, malintention. Um, it's I suppose it's just the uh, I suppose I'm, uh, it's the language we're kind of using uh, in schools uh, for the moment. And um, this podcast is um, more interest in 
the last the last six or seven years rather than the very early days uh, of the NCSE's setup. Um, I really want to focus from around 2013 and uh, I would identify that as the time the spin doctors took over the NCSE and completely ignored from the day they completely ignored the fact that the Minister for Education at the time, Rory Quinn, cut 15% of all resource hours from children with special education needs and instead announced they were very pleased with the government commitment to children with additional needs. Now at that time, nobody, nobody in, in Ireland could defend, even in the depths of recession, any government who would target their cuts to the most vulnerable people in society. But that's exactly what the government did from about 2008 onwards. Um, they firstly said goodbye to the resource uh, teacher for travellers and claimed that the resource teacher for tra uh, the, tra uh, the resource teacher for travellers didn't want to exist uh, next they hit the eel teachers that's teachers uh, for children with um english and additional language they used to provide um a teacher for um a teacher for every certain number of um children and then they cut that like massively um and then they cut the teachers for the deaf and blind um and However, I, mean, I, I feel one of the most awful cuts of all because it affected it affected so many children and maybe it's, 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 it's certainly not no worse than the previous ones, but it's this 15% reduction in resource hours to children with additional needs. So overnight, children were receiving um, a certain number of hours per week of, um, of, of resource teaching as it was known at the time. And overnight that was cut by 15%. Rory Quinn tried to uh, even reduce it further to 25% a little later uh, but thankfully didn't succeed however I'm not interested in Rory Quinn's uh, reduction what I'm interested in is the NCSE's reaction this was the agency that was set up to improve the delivery of education services to people or persons in their language with special educational needs arising from disabilities with particular emphasis on children that's a quote from their website and they released a statement after the cuts and they didn't refer at all to the cuts and instead the ceo at the time stated the ncse very much welcomes the minister for education and skills recent confirmation in the budget announcement that the same number of posts will be available to support students with special education needs in the 2013-2014 school year she didn't just welcome she very much welcomed this there wasn't one word about the 15% cut. Not one word. In fact, in the appendix to the press release, the NCSE listed, uh, made a couple of lists, and they were really pointed in how they were manipulated. There was a list of the number of SNAs in Ireland and a list of the number of resource teachers that were uh, employed. In the list of SNAs, they listed them from 2006 to 2012. So they went from 2006, 2007, 2008, all the way up. And each year, it showed an increase of SNA allocation, as you would expect. However, for the resource teachers, interestingly, they just put down the number in 2006, and then they put down the number in 2012. They skipped the years in between whitewashing basically whitewashing the cuts that had been imposed before then i mean it's only when you look at these things on in black and white on paper there that you can see how blatant this was why were they spinning this why were they spinning this lie that this was a, a very much welcomed and not only that when schools actually struggled after this with this 15 percent cut to resource hours 
and had to tell families i'm sorry we just can't give you all the hours you know you all, all the all the support we we would like to give you the ncsc actually hit out at the schools blamed the schools claiming they were actually creating soft barriers to families and all schools were fully funded this they said we were fully funded and resourced to provide an educational service to all children in their locality now i want to investigate the claims that the ncsc make about provisions for children with additional needs and the actual truth behind them and that is the theory of the uh, the, the, the main part of this podcast the second part of this podcast is um, i also want to suggest a simpler more straightforward model that the government might use for the provision of additional support for children with additional needs and i think um, if i can solve those two problems within the next half an hour that'll be a job well done Ed Carty in the Irish Independent wrote an article around mid-2013 claiming that special needs children were being excluded from schools. It uncovered evidence of mothers and fathers being told another school would be more suitable or that the resources were not available for their child. The report also claimed that this makes parents feel they have to fight for a placement and that their child is being enrolled on sufferance. And this was on foot of a report that came from a review of the system and who wrote it? The NCSE the very organisation that very much welcomed the 15% cut to the resources. The article continued with the NCSE complaining that some schools erect overt or soft barriers to prevent or discourage parents from enrolling children with special education needs. And then they had this sentence again. We consider, since the NCSE, we consider that schools are funded and resourced to provide an educational service to all children in the locality. And there was worse. The NCSE also identified schools that refused to open a special class for a cohort of students where a need had already been identified, where there was space and where additional resources could be made available. And it made some recommendations. Now, I'm not going to read all the recommendations, but the, the last one basically was a school must establish a special class if so requested by an organiser. Um, the others are, are around enrolment and um, and 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 it's worth having a read of them because they're um, they're just so anti-school um, they're basically claiming school it's all school's fault despite the fact that schools were pretty much um, cut to pieces through the recession and couldn't manage with the with the uh, with the various cuts were around basically um, the last one is school must establish a special class if so requested by an organiser just passed through the admissions bill last year without much of a whimper despite the fact that no teachers actually have specialised training and working in, its spe in specific special classes and there's actually no increase in resourcing these classes which are actually loss making entities you actually lose money by opening these things uh, the, these classes I mean I, I'll come back to that later because I want to actually look at the reality of special class uh, provision in Ireland and, and yes it is actually it is deplorable however before uh, that I want to look at the changes that have happened since this time uh, when it came to resourcing children with special educational needs I want to chart what's happened since 2013 roughly and what I'll do is I'll start with um, SNA provision I'll move into um, resource teaching or known as set 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 allocations and then um, special classes for children with autism or other and then obviously with other needs as well so let's look at uh, SNA provision first uh, back in back when I started my job um, about a decade ago, um, I, I just want to go through what I had to do if I needed an SNA for a child in my in my in my classroom. I'd made a phone call to the Sino, and she would come to the school. 
she might have a bit of an argument with me and or we'd have a bit of a toing and froing. Uh, but basically if the child required an SNA, I'd fill in a form, small form, parents would agree and it'll be wrapped up in a few days. That was it. These days, things are just unbelievably different. It's it's amazing. I, 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 I actually, I, even saying that last bit, almost feels like it never really happens uh, some people might even call me a liar because but that's how i got snas back then there was that was it now if i have a a, a child um with behavioral difficulties let's say i i because you know now i can call the casino um but i mean let's 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 pick a scenario child with behavioral difficulties and let's let's make it really really obvious like spend 10 seconds in the classroom um, you you would know that this child requires an SNA. I mean, he, you know, he's running around the room, he's licking the floor, he's hitting everybody he sees, he's punching and biting and kicking uh, the teacher. You know, and the and you know, this this is an extreme case, okay? But in mainstream class, um, so that's 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 your that's our scenario. Now you would think if I rang the casino and told them I need an SNA, I I I'd be lucky if I got if I if if the phone wasn't put down to me in order to get an SNA for this child now. A teacher now, before they even begin looking for an SNA, will have to follow the continuum of support uh, that NEPS created with a classroom support plan. So they actually have to create a classroom support plan for this child, which is takes about six weeks. Six weeks bring this child to around mid-October. Let's say it's in September when they come along. Now, given that mainstream class teachers are generally pretty good at dealing with ordinarily poor behaviours, a child with more severe behaviours, like this particular scenario, would obviously fail in the classroom support plan. So you you do this plan knowing you're going to fail. So you have six weeks of uh, this child um, unable to cope with ordinary and maybe even uh, individual behaviour systems like award charts. Um, so they move on to a school support plan. The likelihood is this probably would have happened um, anyway uh, by early October, maybe a little earlier again. And some support would be given to this child from a support teacher. And this is probably going to fail because support teachers have timetables and they have to look after other children. And they're actually not, um, they're not caregivers, you know, they're, they're not they're not there to look after care needs, uh, such as um, basically being able to um being a flight risk or, or or whatever but they end up having to do having to fall into this uh, but basically this is going to fail and the next stage then would be well, you would think then i suppose this has failed we've done our school support plan we should now apply for the casino for extra support but before we even do that this is what we actually have to do the child before we even do anything the child has to have a diagnosis that's behavioral related if they don't have a, a diagnosis gone there's no, you, you, you may as well not even apply. You, in fact, you can't apply. They have to have a diagnosis um, that has beha- that is behavioral related um, in order to get this uh, for a behavioral need. And basically, um, autism has uh, behavior as one of its branches, uh, but it could be speech and language um, with behavioral issues arising from speech and language. Um, it could be EBD. But on top of this, they need to be under the care of a psychologist for this behaviour. And that has to be put in writing by that psychologist. They also need, uh, we also, schools also need to fill in a form called the BCN1 form, which takes several hours to fill out because it charts absolutely everything you can possibly think of around uh, behaviour needs. It, it, it's, it's kind of a strange, I find it a very strange form because you're, you're effectively just copying bits out of a psychological report. But you're also writing down, you know, trying to summarise, you know, the, the, the behaviours that are happening in the class but showing why you're, you failed and how you think a special needs assistant will um, will intervene and how they will also ultimately 
um, you know, succeed in kind of lessening the behaviors, even though we haven't tried them out. They also need to fill in a regular application for an SNA, which also takes some time. And then we have to ensure that every other child within it. So you think, okay, that would be it. But then you also have to ensure that every other child in the school with SNA access is fully reviewed to ensure that the school hasn't somehow missed that they've extra capacity. Because, you know, a school isn't going to think, you know, oh, actually we should pull time from some other SNA there because ultimately for for another child, for that child to have gotten an SNA, you'd have, you know, you get the bare bones and you don't even get the bare bones of what you need. You get less than the bare bones. So that means you actually have to prepare full files on all the children in the schools with access, SNA access. And in big schools, you could have dozens, well, certainly a dozen uh, children with, uh, with SNA access. I can actually take weeks to compile all of this information. Um, and as I said, and especially in a big school and this stuff, um, generally these days uh, it's not packed into a folder it's packed into a box and it's sent uh, to the casino who basically then has to spend days and days reading through folders and folders of paperwork and their job really is to find anything they can find that basically won't tick the box that will give um, SNA access if they fail to find a problem um, they, which which actually doesn't happen very often they actually generally will find a problem because there's so much bureaucracy and shifting goalposts uh, you they will send it back to you and you may have to find uh, uh, send uh, parents up back to psychologists to amend their uh, reports but finally when they when they have no nothing to uh, throw back at you the casino will then visit the school and then tries their best to find some way to find capacity within the staff and you're basically principals are left kowtowing to try and find uh, to try and convince um the casino that we need uh, to get enough support and 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 like it's ridiculous the lengths some principals feel they have to go to and then they make a decision um um and and you think oh great there's the sna oh no no that's passed on to the department of education because and that's going to take a while because finally the department of education either sanction that or they don't sanction it and and sometimes they just don't um and and um that i believe that has happened um and meanwhile Christmas has come and gone and the child has more than likely regressed further because they haven't got the supports they needed. They needed the supports back in September, not in January. The process takes months these days. It's now even more infuriating for children. Um, it's, so, it's, it's so infuriating for children moving from preschool to primary school because basically in preschools, they have reasonably good supports. Like they have a totally different system um, for allocating extra support for children with special education needs. It's called AIMS and it sounds very similar to what used to happen um, back when I started off. And the mad thing is this child could have the highest level of support, like level seven is the highest level of support, one to one, all the way through preschool. Once they go into the primary school sector, they get nothing. It's lost. They have no support, zero. And the only time they get support is in exceptional circumstances now we'll go again into that exceptional circumstances in a minute and even then it's just access so they actually don't get any any um sna really um i mean and you you know principals and, and parents have to fight to get an sna to into a junior infant before they even begin i i i don't know i'm sure there's cases where it's happened but i i haven't i haven't come across them um because Basically, what the what Asina will do if they can is they'll just provide access, which doesn't mean you increase the allocation. It just means the child is entitled to some access. The famous word access. Let me go. Let me talk a little bit, a bit of history. Go back a little bit. In the very early days of SNAs, SNAs are actually were um, were actually allocated or assigned to children, to particular children. And if that child left the school, so for example, if an SNA was allocated to 
a guy, a child, John, let's call him John. Um, and if John left the school, the SNA also lost their job. So they were tied to the child. And now this wasn't a great model. Of course, it's not a great model. It wasn't fair. I mean, families move around um, and all that sort of stuff. And it's not fair that a job should be reliant on um, on a particular child um, and, and be that, uh, um, I suppose, perilous. Um, but um, the improvement where SNAs are now assigned to schools, um, so basically if a child leaves, the, it's not that SNA that leaves it's the last SNA that got a job loses their job it's basically been bastardized by uh, by the NCSC and, and the government now schools are allocated a certain number of SNAs or hours and it's actually now left up to schools to decide how best to use them um, now a CNO is going to happily give access to an uh, to a to an SNA to schools if it means not increasing the number of SNAs in schools you just have the paperwork it's uh, and basically you've got this really nonsensical practice um, practices now that, that just seem to be normalized I, I don't really get it like for example if i have a child with a an sna who actually has full-time access to an sna in a, in a particular class group i'm not going to get another sna in that class group even if the child needs um support so you only get one sna per year group so even if, if even if you've what if you have a room where there's a need for more than one sna you can forget it and if you think you're smart in a bigger school with more than one stream of class don't think you're going to get another SNA in the other room. I mean, on, on extremely exceptional circumstances, I've I, I rarely heard it happening. Um, some children with access to an SNA actually never even get to see an SNA. That's how mad this is. And SNA unions have also insisted that any allocated hours um, have to be filled to a maximum for hours per week. So, for example, if you got um, half an SNA for one child and half an SNA for another child uh, an SNA, uh, the SNA union would insist that you would have to give the full time the basically the 0.5 plus 0.51 both to the same person and the children might be in school at the same time so you're kind of you know I, I've yet to find um, any SNA that is bilocational but this is what unions and in fairness I can see where they're coming from but I mean the fact that this is open knowledge um and 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 seen it but seniors don't care they just say sorry it's up to schools to decide what to do even if they actually have no way of any power to implement it but um this is how it goes um also i suppose uh, finally psychological recommendations are being completely ignored by the ncse I, I think it's quite dangerous them actually doing that but i mean and maybe that will come out uh, in the next uh, in, in 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 a while anyway the trouble is that the ncse spin doctors have told senos and, and this is the intra uh, i find this infuriating i actually don't blame the xenos i blame the people that are telling xenos what to say they have to tell parents like so if a parent rings them up saying my child requires sna access um that they offer exactly the right amount of support to schools and children don't actually need to have a diagnosis to receive any sna support so basically schools can give sna support to any child and schools should basically simply deploy their resources accordingly so a parent rings up and a CNO will tell them this. They actually have to tell them this. However, if you actually look at the NCSE's very own documentation, they actually have a pamphlet for parents. Okay, It's a small, really small pamphlet. I have it in my school. I tend to try and quote it at all costs uh, because this is happening more and more that you've got parents ringing the CNO saying, you know, my child doesn't have a diagnosis, but he really needs SNA access. And the CNO basically says, yeah, 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 the school should give you that. You know, they're, they've, they, they've enough. So what I do is I, I, I basically photocopy the pamphlet and give it to the parent and say and i highlight the bit where this is said and here is what it says regarding sna provision students who may be approved access to sna support are those who have significant care needs arising from disability or medical condition and and here's the important bit 
whose professional reports indicate the student's care needs are so significant they will require additional adult assistance. So I want to, I want to repeat that, whose professional reports indicate. So you have to, their own documentation says you have to have a psychological report because that's what the professional report means. So they're actually lying on the phone to the parents because if a parent wants SNA access, they need a professional report to indicate that their care needs are significant. And I can't understand that. And to be honest with you, I um, had to complain to the NTSC about this blatant contradiction because it is a blatant contradiction. And I, and in fairness to the, uh, to the NTSC, uh, they did respond, um, but they didn't deal with it at all. Instead, I actually got an insight um, to how the NCSC has actually been taken over by bureaucracy and spin um, and I'll refer to the response I got in a while and I won't obviously name names because that's not fair uh, but basically if you want an SNA you actually need a diagnosis um, and even if you have one of those the battle's only begun schools can only do so much and the NCSC are simply not telling the truth when they say that every child can have their needs provided in all schools but moving back to that email this this is actually the NCSC this is, I'm just quoting from the uh, email because it's copy and paste from policy Schools are provided with an annualised allocation of SNA support and in accordance with their care needs profile. This level of support is generally expected to remain unchanged during the course of the school year, provided that all relevant identified students remain in the school for the course of the year. Now remember, the allocation is only given to those who have diagnoses. So all the paperwork has to be completed on them. And then the school is given an absolute bare minimum of staff to cover these needs. So there's no flexibility to move staff around. In almost all cases, like what I'm given at a particular time, I can't really, there's very little movement. Um, you might get the odd thing, like the, the odd, you know, chance to, to, to move around, but generally that doesn't happen. And effectively what's really, really happening is set teachers, the special, the former resource teachers are actually being drafted in to become SNAs um, in effect. Um, and they're not trained, you know, to cover the inevitable shortfall. They're just not on. But anyway, this carries on. It goes on about the NCSC guidelines from 2018-19 and some DS uh, circular from 2014. It states the NCSC allocates a level of SNA supports for each school annually. Now they do do this. They do it annually. So, but why? Why would why would they why would they provide a school you you can only get your support at one point in the year. So when you're applying for SNA support, you only get it once in the year. So a child could come at a different time of the year. Um, and and um, they have to wait until the government. So it's all about bureaucracy now, not children. You actually get an allocation every year. And interestingly, I think this is mad. This usually comes at the end of the school year when there's no way to appeal it because any appeal for extra resources ensures it's a full review and that has to be done. But that's impossible because it takes over a month to get everything together and everybody's on holidays anyway and there's no children in the school. So when the review is done, there's no children there. It's brilliant timing because you actually can't get it. So you get, and if you're lucky, you'll get it in June. Oh, it's, it's, it's infuriating. They carry on. Applications re received after the issue of decisions in June, so they do. They even tell you they'll do it in June, will be processed on the basis that the school can clearly demonstrate they have insufficient SNA support. For example, and these are the three criteria for getting an SNA, where a school has no SNA allocation. I'll talk about that in a second. Where the enrolment in a special class has increased. That's fairly mathematical. There's very little they can do. You have to have two SNAs in a, in a, in a, in a full uh, special class. And then the final one, where a critical situation has arisen in school due to a very exceptional case. A very exceptional case. I, I think it's interesting, the word very. Anyway, so back to number one. So rather than actually being child-centred, priorities are now being given to schools based on the number of people in them. So like the first point only leads to parents 
you know having a, you know having a hard uh, having a harder time and what's actually happened so when a school has no SNA allocation they are prioritized for an SNA now it makes no sense because what you get now is parents having to go hunting for schools where there isn't an SNA already. So you've got a parent who's been told in a psychological report, your child requires one-to-one -one SNA support. They ring a school they ring, and they say, by the way, hi, um, you know, I, I have a child who requires one-to-one -one SNA support. Um, have you already got an SNA in there? Because they know, ultimately, they won't get another SNA for their child. It's madness. And I've seen it in action. It's actually totally unacceptable. I've actually seen parents now reduce this odd pragmatism ringing around schools asking if there's an SNA already in the school and if there is they have to move on to the, they actually move to the next school and try to find a school where there's no SNA and there's very few schools like that and so much you know so so much for the NCSE guaranteeing all needs being met in their locality and when they've exhausted these options I mean we, we they, they finally get to this situation Further consideration may be given to the level of allocated SNA support in cases where a potentially critical situation has arisen in a school due to a very exceptional case, as in point three above. Such situations may arise where there are additional students with care needs enrolling unexpectedly, where there's a consideration that goes on. So basically, in very exceptional circumstances, they will um, they will look at increasing it. Now we've gone through all the ridiculous amounts of paperwork and forms and all that kind of nonsense so that uh, th that needs to be applied before so you know we'll even we'll even bother pros or not pro bother they will even process it and then the NCSE pretty much tell you in their policy this is their policy in the majority of cases schools are expected to support the students from within their current available SNA allocation so even before you even put this through the NCSE have already decided they're not going to bother that you're just not getting it in the majority of cases I mean there it doesn't matter how genuine we all are the majority of cases you're gonna you just have to take it it's pits it's actually the pits the system is awful and it really has to change and that's only SNA access that's <laughs> I got, I'm gonna move on to the um to the to the resource hours or the set allocation hours what about that 15% cut that Rory Quinn made to resource hours I mean obviously in the new system they came back you would think yeah well back in the day children with particular diagnosis in mainstream classes received a certain number of resource hours depending on their diagnosis so if you had autism you got five hours a week now that didn't matter what type of autism like what where in the spectrum so no matter how severe or how mild you were you got five hours per week so you had weird and nonsensical situations with your children who just needed no support whatsoever you're trying to find five hours of something to do with them um, you had these odd situations like children with down syndrome got nothing until just before the rules change which is which is odd as well um and in any case the whole thing was really arbitrary and it was actually probably the right decision to change they did they they, they were right to change because that was no way to allocate resources it was it was arbitrary and it was it probably suited the a time but certainly wasn't right the problem was that change when the change was made they actually the 15 percent cut actually remained as part of the new system so all the hours that we're now allocated in this new set allocation are 15 percent less than they should be well done like that's very clever of the of the government it's very clever of the ncse not only that the ncse's claim that parents no longer need to get a diagnosis to get resource hours means that loads of parents actually don't bother getting diagnosis and the miss under the misinformation that they've been given that they don't need to get a diagnosis but actually part of the calculation of how many hours you get a school gets for allocation is based on the number of children with diagnosed needs so 
that is another easy cut. Well done, NCSE and the government. You actually were able to make another stealth of a cut, uh, a cut by stealth there. So that changes the uh, that changes again uh, this this mad rationale, which you've guessed it. You know this this new change was welcomed, of course, by the NCSE, you know, and the press release actually stated the NCSE welcomed the announcement today by the Minister for Education and Skills, Richard Bruton at the time, on a better and more equitable way of allocating additional teaching resources for students with special educational needs. And it goes on to state the rationale for this. And I, I, when I read it, I mean, when I read it the first time, I, I wrote an article on child.net going, what, what the hell is going on? But this is the rationale, okay, in five, five, six years ago. In 2013, the NCSE advised the minister that the model for allocating teaching resources for students with special needs was unfair and inequitable. That was their, that was their advice to the Minister for Education. For example, in order to access resource teaching, students required a diagnosis and there were long waiting lists for assessments. And families who could afford to pay for private assessments were able to avoid waiting lists and access resources, which disadvantaged those who could not afford to pay privately and have to wait. So the whole rationale for this change was because of the delays in the public service. It wasn't like, why not fix that problem? However, also, there was a case that some private psychologists were looking at the maximum numbers of hours they could get per week for support. And they were writing their hours to get that. Now that was immoral. I mean, that's fair enough. But I mean, you know, if 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 you get five hours rather than three hours a week of support, what psychologist wasn't going to go for the five hours if they they just create multiple multiple disabilities would get you five hours, um, if I remember correctly. Um, so if a child had dyslexia and dyscalculia, you should put multiple disabilities down, and you got five hours instead of zero hours or three hours. Sorry, um, it, it, it's it's it. You know, but I mean, that wasn't right, but you can see why it would happen. So instead of actually tackling the problem and ensuring the public system would actually take care of diagnosis, they actually create a new system, which they which they actually would claim. They have five claims. Students will no longer have to wait for access to extra teaching as a diagnosis um, is, or, is no longer necessary. And um, so, I mean, I don't know where they got that from. Students won't have to be labeled uh, with a disability just to receive extra teaching support. Again, that was already happening. Uh, parents will no longer have to pay large sums of money for private diagnosis to bypass waiting lists. Well, that's actually no, not not. I mean, that was just a consequence of having long waiting lists and um, reduced waiting lists. I mean, like it made no sense. Schools will uh, be able to support students as soon as difficulties begin to emerge, as they won't have to wait for individual diagnosis and application for resources already was happening in schools and schools will have less paperwork and administration without the need for individual applications for resources in NCC. That's um that didn't turn out that way actually if I if I remember correctly. I, I think I feel more paperwork and administration has actually happened as a result of it. It's all horseshit basically or or I mean given I haven't done a cow pung for a while, uh, a cow pun, so I'm gonna say rather than horseshit, cow dung. Parents who are being bluffed. They are being bluffed. When this new system came to pass, schools were told they wouldn't lose out on their allocation for two years. There you go. So basically they were told, do you know what, we're doing this new system, um, but even if you were, even if this new system doesn't work out well for you, you can keep your allocation for two years. I mean, for some reason, you know, this was said as a positive thing, but anyway, two years have passed and nobody did anything to stop or, or say, whoa, that was a really, that, that was, that's not a really good thing. Um, but nobody, nobody, now quite a number of schools have lost teachers as a result. 
And because parents are being told they're no longer going to need a diagnosis to receive supports, that's exactly what's happening. So children with diagnoses are going to pass through the system. New children won't get diagnoses because parents are being told you don't need them. And schools allocations are going to reduce. And parents are going to soon wonder what happens. And the NCSE are going to say it's all schools' faults. Schools basically already have less resources than they should and children are not getting the support they need and it's going to get worse and worse and surely though that's it surely that there can't be more but I'm afraid not we have to look at special classes. Before I begin I want to say I I have um, two special classes in my school and I'm really really happy that my school actually opened them. Um, There are two special classes for children with um, autism we call them our integrated classes and we opened that over a decade ago Um, and to me it supports our ethos of inclusion I think it's a, it's a very positive um, thing to have done um, because it really um, it really the, the, the benefits are, um, are are absolutely massive um, I, I would suggest and if I could open other types of classes I absolutely would have had the space but up until next year my school remains the only school in my town a urban town a large urban town it's Carlo with this provision however outside of town it's just one of many there's loads and loads of country schools though with ASD classes and this is obviously very unusual given that ASD classes would work best in larger schools where integration is easier to manage and why is this why are small schools opening up ASD classes and big town schools just aren't well the simple answer is again you 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 won't be surprised here silly it's a silly policy that a teaching principal can become administrative if the school has four to five mainstream classes and a full unit now this is the only time i'm going to use the word unit when referring to autism i don't like the name uh, basically the department of education describe a, a unit as two special classes for children with autism teaching principals which is a job that shouldn't exist anyway and we'll talk about that in a future podcast are so desperate to become administrative principals they're actually opening these classes in order to have a job that is somewhat doable it's impossible to be a teaching principal so this is a way to become an administrative principal and the problem of course is this isn't really a very good reason to open a special class but it's entirely understandable why they would do it and in fairness given that they're so desperate needed the reason doesn't really matter why they do it they actually need these classes and in fact it wouldn't be such a bad thing if um these schools and all schools were provided with proper training but of course as we know they really aren't Teachers receive no specialised qualification for working in special classes. In fact, if you have a teacher working in an ASD class, proper training only occurs after the teacher starts, well after the teacher starts working in the class. So they work blindly for the first few months. And only if they're lucky, they may not even get training. The government provide only a small number of places in a course called Teach, which gives a really, really good framework of how to set up and work within an ASD class. Now, before I forget, I do have to commend one part of the uh, structures, government structures, when it comes to special education provision in Ireland, and that is the SESS. Um, and this was commented upon on our Facebook page actually during the week. They are the light, um, the little chink of light within provision. Um, they're so good that has been um, there's been lots of attempts in the last decade to close it down by the government, and they've several consultations, independent consultations, where this, the aim was to get people like me. I took part in one of these consultations a number of years ago to basically say something bad so they could basically get rid of it um but possibly and unfortunately for them they've um well they didn't succeed in getting rid of them they've somehow been absorbed into the ncse and i can only foresee this being troublesome uh, uh, for them i'm not sure why they didn't get absorbed into if they had to be absorbed at all into the pdst because they're the agents that actually provides training in cpd for teachers it'd be interesting to see what the what, what the future of the scss is now that they're part of the ncse 
Anyway, that's grand, isn't it? Uh, you have a child with a diagnosis of ASD and then you enroll them into your local ASD class and that's that. And in fact, that was the case up until 2016 when um, when you could do that. But in 2016, the goal shifts were posted by the NCSC and for some reason, the NCSC chose not to tell anyone. They released it very quietly, probably sometime in the middle of the summer when nobody was looking um, because nobody seemed to know about it. So these days, a child with a diagnosis not only needs to have the diagnosis to access their special class for autism, the rules now state that they also have to have, and I, I'll read, I guess it's boring language, but I'll read the actual thing. In order to access a special class, the student must have a report from a relevant professional, that's not a teacher, by the way, we, we were not considered professionals, stating that the child has a disability in line with the designation of the special class in question, and, and this is the new bit, the child has complex or severe learning needs that require the support of a special class setting and the reasons why this is the case. That's new. And the intention of special class for children with autism wasn't for children with severe needs, actually. It was it was more for the milder end of things where integration was possible. Now, I'm not really interested in, in, in the ins and outs of that. Um, the trouble is, these rules weren't passed on to psychologists and most psychologists didn't actually add in the second piece of information. And when parents were forced, and basically when parents enrolled their children, they had the report, I'd send it off to the to the, to the CINO as you would with the enrollment form and it would come back basically saying, sorry, your child can't access the uh, special class for children with autism because it doesn't say that they require the support of a special class and why. So these parents are forced then to go back to the same psychologist to get the report amended so it ticks this new criteria and often the psychologist has moved on so they're no longer there so the child actually has to be fully reassessed often costing thousands of euro and nothing has changed about this child's diagnosis i mean the only thing that has changed is bureaucracy a bureaucratic rule and this is an example is for a child with autism but i'm sure it works for any disability i'm just i'm not actually quite sure now if you have a child with any significant additional need it's very possible that you'll need to attend a specialized class for that need I want, I want to, I've been focusing on autism, but I want to look at the breakdown of the other different special class types in Ireland because there's quite a few of them. Um, for ASD, as, uh, there's ASD, there are more ASD classes in Ireland than any other. Um, there's actually 974 of them as of this year. Um, so that's about one in three schools would have an ASD class um, on average. So it's probably not one in three schools, but certainly um, there's, a, a, there's quite a few of them. Not enough, but a, a few of them. But let's look at other diagnoses. For uh, EBD, nine in the whole country nine classes not nine schools nine classes hearing impairments 10 mild general learning disabilities 42 there's 20 classes for moderate learning uh, moderate general learning disabilities nine for severe or profound learning disabilities 17 for multiple disabilities 11 for specific learning disabilities and 65 for speech and language disabilities now it's easy to see if your child doesn't have autism you're fecked um and uh, in a nutshell um if your if your child has an EBD, for example, and this is actually the fastest growing diagnosis in Ireland, you're absolutely goose. There is absolutely nowhere to go, in a way. I um, and even the NCSE admitted this in 2012, seven years ago. They admitted this. This is from a report by the NCSE, the actual National Council for Special Education. They reported in 2010 there was a total of 6,900 children attending mainstream schools with a diagnosis of EBD. By 2012, two years later, um, that number had increased to over 8,200 pupils. So a 16% increase 
um, in pupils. And the NCC, uh, NCSE at that time, this is seven years ago, stated they were very concerned that the system may currently be failing a group of students with complex special education needs arising from EBD. These are children and young people with a clinical diagnosis of EBD whose levels of challenging behaviour prevents them from attending and or engaging with school and from achieving their own individual potential. That's the NCSE's own words. 16% increase in two years. If those trends continued, which I have absolutely no doubt they have, in fact, I'm sure it's even it's even more, there are likely to be well over 10 to 15,000 children in Ireland with a diagnosis of EBD and nine classes with eight children in those classes. So 72 class places, 15,000 pupils. There are nine classes for children with EBD in Ireland. And if you think, you probably think most of them are in Dublin. Actually, that's not the case. There's two in Kerry. They're both in the same school. Dublin has one class for children with EBD. Basically, the NCSE, uh, the NCSE and the government simply have not provided enough classes for the needs that exist. So where do these children go? Well, yes, they're put into mainstream classrooms where they are set up to fail. And therefore, they exa exasperating their situations and making things even worse. Ultimately, many of them fail, fall foul of the school's disciplinary codes and they end up getting expelled. And there's no fault of the schools and no school, I can guarantee you, wants to go through an expulsion. I mean, honestly, even the paperwork alone would halt any gung-ho principle. But the inevitable fact is, but children with EBD are not getting the support they need and ditto for almost every other additional need. And why? Because the NCSE, who should be improving the outcomes for children with needs, have effectively become a buffer for the DES, a cog in the wheel. And in the last few years, they have added as much paperwork and as much bureaucracy to cause as much delay as possible in getting resources. They've ignored and even welcomed cuts imposed on children with special education needs, and they've passed much of its work and much of its organisational work onto school principals. The NCSE, I know, right now, are reviewing things at the moment, and I'm aware of a pilot which is supposed to make things better, but I think now it's too little, too late. The thing is ruined. The, SNA, the NCSE has just become a cog in the government's wheel and like many other government agencies, and I'm not going to miss an opportunity here to have a Papa Tusla here who is also doing exactly the same thing, the NCSE is slow, bureaucratic and no longer fit for purpose. And the thing about this is none of it is really necessary. If we simply looked at the psychological report in any case, in the first place, the solutions are already there. They're there. Every single report there's recommendations for the required support by a professional psychologist. And this should surely be good enough. But the weird thing is, there are so many layers and layers and layers that is complete, the actual psychological report, which tells you what a child needs, is ignored, routinely ignored. And when a reputable psychologist make a recommendation, this should be enough. Let's take a random example. Child requires full-time SNA and requires learning support. And this would be a regular enough statement from the report. A parent would actually think that if this was in the report, this would simply happen. But as we know from all the examples above and all the stories above, it doesn't. And a CNO could just simply ignore the recommendation, and they do. And the NCSE will argue from their 2012 research that some psychologists were making over-recommendations for resources. This is why they had to change the rules. But I have a better system. I have a better suggestion. Let's simplify it. And I'm moving on to part two of my uh, of this podcast and you'll be very glad to know it's much much shorter so uh, stick with me i think we should just scrap the ncse and like that's it like and replace it with a neps system um that's 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 my suggestion basically we would rather than using the ncse as the provider of um of resources we'd use neps 
where we can refer children. And this NEP psychologist would assess and decide how much support the child needs and review this every couple of years. And whatever the psychologist said would just be put in place immediately as well. There would be no other mechanisms for gaining supports. And actually, you wouldn't be allowed to use private psychologists. Um, I'll give you an example. You have child A, he's struggling in school, um, he's struggling academically, and, and the school makes a referral to, to NEPs. NEPs make a diagnosis of a dyslexia and they recommend four hours a week of support. As a child has no care needs, no SNA access is required. Done. That's it. Basically, after that, the child should basically have four hours per week of support and the school should be given the relevant staffing for that child. Let's look at a, set of a more uh, severe example. Child B has significant behaviours and is struggling to sit in his seat in his class. He's violent. He's a diagnosis of, uh, of, of autism uh, from the um, assessment of need when he was small. NEPs come along. They do an assessment and recommend the child needs a full-time SNA. What should happen then is the school should be able to hire that SNA the very next day. Done. There is no rules. Um, about how many SNA should be in a room and there should be almost no time constraints. Children should be seen as quickly as possible and I'd say I'd make sure that that, that wasn't no longer than two to three weeks. The system really should work similarly in a way to how med work works for teachers. Now I'm not saying that children with disabilities are, are, are have illnesses. That's that's not what I'm saying. I'm, I, I'm talking about the system. Basically, if I'm a teacher and I and I get sick, um, I, I I can't just go to my local GP privately and tell them, look, you know, I'm feeling a bit ill. Can I kind of can I get time off? Uh, the government have their own independent um, doctors that will basically say whether I'm fit for work or not and put in provisions where, where, where it needs to be. Now, as I said, I'm not comparing uh, children or anybody with a disability with being sick. Um, I'm just saying the mechanism of having an independent system like NEPS to provide the right recommendations are, um, is, is what you need. We don't need private systems. We need a, a good working public system like NEPS, which is an excellent system when, when it's well resourced. There's absolutely no harm if a school actually ends up receiving a little more allocation of support for children than than they really need. Um you know, and I, I don't I don't really foresee that happening particularly um if in the system, but it, but I get it could happen. Um but rather than what's happening now, which is the absolute opposite, where children actually where schools are struggling to try and squeeze as much as they possibly can from a completely skeletal um, allocation, which doesn't work. It really just doesn't work. Um, it's a very simple, simple solution, but that's the point. Why not make it as simple as that? I'd actually go further and suggest that NEPS recommends occupational therapy and speech and language supports and, and get, get them on board, um, and they'd be provided in the correct settings. And I also think NEPS should actually recommend special classes and provisions are built as those needs arise. So for example, if a child requires an EBD class, well, you know, the DS need to need have the responsibility to provide these these classrooms are built and resourced properly. So basically, in summary, we need to scrap the NCSE and replace it with a properly resourced NEPS service who can actually take over organising um, special education needs in the country easily enough. When I've actually report or suggested this as a system, I, I, I'm not saying this for the first time, well, people don't really disagree with it. Often there's a retort to say that Ireland's one of the top countries in the world for provisions for uh, for special education needs. And in fairness, that's true. You know, we, we, we're actually better than most countries. However, just because other countries are awful doesn't mean that we need to celebrate being mediocre. And we certainly, uh, and I certainly think we're getting worse. Um, in fact, I, 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 in fact, I, I think it's got, it's, it's much, the situation is much worse than it used to be. Um, we certainly might be better than most still, 
but we're still not the land of milk and honey. I'm going back to my cow puns. I could actually keep going. You know, I could actually talk about this until the cows go home. But there's several other podcasts planned for the future where we examine issues relating to special educational needs, which I'll cover. And in fact, that's exactly what I'll be doing on next week's episode. I'm sticking with special education needs and I'll be suggesting that we further extend NEPS's role in education. I like NEPS, I think they're good and I think we need to use them. Yes, I will be milking them for all they're worth. On next week's show, um, I'll be looking at NEPS. And NEPS is one of the few services in the Irish education system that actually, when it's well resourced, works beautifully. Uh, in next week's episode, I'll be looking at ways we could further use NEPS service to help all children with special education needs. In this episode, I suggested that NEPS could replace the NCSE, and I'll go into more detail about this, but I'll be expanding their remit and looking at ways we can use the service to simplify the education system. As always, if you've enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving it a review um, uh, on iTunes or Spotify or any of the other podcasting platforms. And please uh, consider uh, sending me your comments uh, on any of our social media channels, our Facebook page, our um, Twitter feed, um, even on the the, um, actual website itself on um, shaw.net or on any of the podcast pages. Um, I'll be back next week uh, with that that episode. um, And uh, please uh, take a peek at uh, the previews to that episode uh, throughout the week on um, on Shaw.net's Facebook page, which is on Shaw.net slash, or sorry, it's facebook.com slash on Shaw.net. Anyway, until this time next week, uh, thanks so much for listening and see you then. Take care.